You're listening to Grow, Cook, Inspire. I'm Helen Cross and this is the podcast which goes beyond telling you when to chit your potatoes and lift your dahlias. I shine the light on the news, views and trends worth talking about. Plus, I share fantastic conversations with people from the world of gardening and food. Plus, much, much more. Welcome back to the podcast and thank you for all the great feedback from last week's show as we got series six off the starting blocks. And I think it's fair to say I have opened the lid on a new houseplant obsession after my conversations with both Ben and Sarah. Now, on to today's show, I'll be joined by not one, not two, but three special guests as we delve into the world of cut flowers and flower farming. I speak with Marianne Mogendorf and Camilla Romain, who are the dynamic duo behind Wolf Lane Flowers in North London, and they are also the authors of the beautiful book, How to Grow the Flowers. I'll also be joined by Rebecca Masterton, who is behind the Pretty Wildflower Company, which is a little further north in Dumfries and Galloway, up here in Scotland. But before I introduce this week's guests, let's take a look at this week's Garden Edit. I'm not going to deny it, January has got to be the drookest, the darkest and the most dismal month of the calendar year. It has rained constantly this month and now the temperatures have plummeted and even in Scotland we've had snow. So I can assure you that the lid on my seed tin has remained firmly shut and it will do for quite some time if I'm being honest because I don't have a big fancy heated glass house and we just don't get the daylight up here in Scotland to make it worthwhile sowing seeds. Even my south facing windowsill is not going to cut it. But I get it, being outside at this time of year is really really good for our mental health and well-being. So if you are looking for a few things to do, hopefully my garden edit this week will give you some inspiration. In at number one, why not, if the ground isn't frozen, plant a bare root rose bush because it's much cheaper than planting a rose later on and it also doesn't involve quite as much plastic. You could also plant a bare root fruit tree as well. And talking of roses and fruit trees, now is a great time to prune both back. But if, like me, you would rather curry up inside with a hot cup of tea, then January is the perfect month to plan ahead and dream of sunnier and warmer times. So why not get ordering lots of cut flower seeds and flower bulbs as well? And if you are gardening with children or wanting to get children more involved in the garden, then I've got a really good idea for you this week. Collect lots of gardening magazines and old seed catalogues and let them cut all the pictures out and create colourful and beautiful collages and get them to design their very own green space. Now, it's no surprise that Valentine's Day is big business. Collectively, Brits spend round about 
1.37 million pounds, with the average person spending around about 35 pounds. Although apparently Scottish people spend much less compared to those in the other home nations, and a quarter of all people are buying plants and flowers. But how much thought goes into where these flowers come from, or are they just snapped up from the supermarket on the way home without a second thought? Now. It's no surprise that the flowers in the supermarket are hugely appealing. They are brightly coloured, you're going to get roses, they're big, they're brash, they're beautiful. However, they're not necessarily grown in Britain because if you look around any front garden or in any public garden in January and February, you are not going to see a single rose because they're growing in the summer. So the sustainability of cut flowers doesn't appear to have received the same attention in recent years as say the sustainability of our food. There's not the same stink that's kicked up in February when we see roses as there is perhaps when we see strawberries on our supermarket shelves in December. So if we dig a little bit deeper, these flowers that we're seeing on our supermarket shelves at the moment are actually having a damaging impact on our planet and environment. They're flown from countries such as Kenya, they're grown using pesticides under heated glass houses, they are transported over huge cargo planes and then they're trucked to their final destination. So what's happening to resolve this? It takes a little bit of education from the consumer but the good news is there is a growing appetite and there's also a flourishing UK flower growing industry that is taking place right at this moment in time and that's exactly what I'm going to chat to my first guest on the show today that's Marianne Magendorf and Camilla Romain from Wolf Lane Flowers in London. Nice to be here with you, Helen. Thanks for asking us on. Not at all, not at all. Now, I am very lucky to be holding a copy of How to Grow the Flowers, which is your debut book, which you published last year. Now, you guys are, you're flower farmers in North London. You're not, you're not veterans. Uh, you're pretty new to this game. And um, I would love to hear about how this all came about later on in, in your lives, because before flower farming, you were both in very different careers. Yeah, we were, hi there, Camilla. Um, we we were both producers. Um, Ma- Marianne worked in theatre and dance and I worked in um, fashion and broadcast. And for anyone who doesn't know what a producer does, they they sort of get stuff done. They, they make things happen. <laughs> and before we uh, decided to uh, start running a business together, we didn't realise how useful the, that skill set would be. Um, but we, we both left university and, and did these jobs for 10 years where essentially we sort of looked at you know we, we, were, we were the money people so we looked at we, we looked at spreadsheets for 10 years um, <laughs> and facilitated other people's creative journeys and creative processes and, and that was incredibly rewarding but I think after 10 years of doing it we were both sort of feeling quite uh, dissatisfied and definitely uh, quite um, disconnected from nature and I think you typically people who are drawn to creative um, vocations go into those sorts of worlds and then discover that they are, like Camilla said, facilitating other people's creativity. And whilst for a time that feels 
um, kind of fulfilling, I think we both were craving something, you know, perhaps to connect more with our own innate creativity. And I don't know that that was a initial driver, but I think perhaps um, under the surface of it all, that was definitely there. Um, I think that's a common thread amongst a lot of people who do, who pivot midway through and uh, are craving more creativity. I can totally relate to that. So I'm sure the listeners will be able to relate to that too. It's something that comes up so often for, for us. We, we get emails every week from people who, we, we, we joke sometimes that we're going to set up a um, kind of creative industries um, survival club because <laughs> everyone who gets in touch has worked in TV or production of some description and then is 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 drawn towards towards plants um but yes we really the business began uh because of a stroke of luck in some ways um Camilla had taken the plunge to actually leave her job she she'd really had enough of of working in fashion so had just quit with no idea of what was coming next and I had moved um, a couple of years before to the area where Wolves Lane is based and had stumbled across the site on my first day in moving to the area and, and, you know, was super intrigued to discover this whole labyrinth of glass houses that were a little bit dusty and dilapidated. Not a lot was happening. It was previously run by Haringey Council to grow their bedding plants and it was still kind of a nurse uh, sorry a garden center but um wasn't uh wasn't really thriving anymore so we just went to look at it one day together and um in this kind of quite naive but optimistic uh way we we thought oh maybe something could happen here we you know this feels like a really exciting space and then um <laughs> it was just a pure luck that I was meant to be doing those spreadsheets um, that we talked about one one afternoon and, and was procrastinating. So I was looking, had gone deep on Haringey, um, Haringey, Haringey's website and discovered that they were actually looking for people to take over the site. And that sparked us writing this whole business plan to take on the entire site. And um, we were going to we we're going to do a lot of things there, which which luckily didn't happen because <laughs> we we wouldn't be um kind of we wouldn't uh, be talking to you now and then <laughs> we'd be writing sort of um funding bids and um, <laughs> like uh, uh blocked failing kidneys absolutely. um but long story short because that was a kind of six month period where Camilla was working a lot in California and I was um still doing my day job and we were doing this in between and there was a lot of kind of uh hurried conversations and uh, there was a lot a lot of um it was a bit of a roller coaster going through this process with the council and other stakeholders but the long and short of it is that we were given some keys to the site in April 2017 and we then took over a totally empty glass house it was full of metal staging there was no soil in it whatsoever um and there were heating pipes running down the side so and we were just you know we were total novices we'd never ever grown anything <laughs> we'd never grown um plants or cut flowers for market we, we'd grown <laughs> in the capacity of having you know I had a back garden Marianne had an allotment wow so what size are we talking 
<laughs> so the the glass house itself is um 40 meters long by eight okay. by eight meters wide and then we have a series of external plots um that probably makes up about a third of an acre but you know laid the, out in a way that you would never strategically um lay out a flower farm in <laughs> all over the place that you've got to walk between them there's trees there's in trees. the middle okay. um, can't, none of the beds are uniform sizes so all the advice that people give people who want to start growing anything um, for market um, does not apply to how we do it. But we, you know, London, as you know, space is such a premium, we just had to go for it. And I think we were delirious with excitement at having this space to do do with it what, what we wanted. So it was, and you know, this is pre-children, this is where we've got lots of energy and probably lots of time. We, you know, sometimes <laughs> people say when you know very little, you it's easier to do it because you don't you're not held back by all this knowledge of what will, you're not putting these barriers in place because you just think oh let's let's just do it. How hard can it be? Perhaps was somewhere at the back of our minds. And if we were starting it now, we would almost perhaps thwart ourselves by knowing how hard it can be <laughs> totally totally I love that I love that so you've got this relatively large plot of land which is considerably bigger than the typical UK garden um and you've never flower farmed before so where are you drawing your inspiration and your knowledge from well we are both people that when we get interested in something are total sponges for absorbing information so once I had grown I'd kind of got a taste for it with growing some things on my allotment I think I grew sweet peas initially and they're such a generous prolific flower so you suddenly realize wow I don't have to go to Tesco and buy a bunch of of, of tulips I can I can be cutting things that I'm growing so we I definitely got the bug from that we'd also um done the flowers for my wedding which had been a real um uh, and worked with a flower farmer for that so we were we had a model of seeing we don't run our business the way that organic blooms with the brilliant flower growers I um, I use my wedding um, we don't work in the way they do but we could see the abundance of um, of flowers so we did a couple of short courses with them um, there were some brilliant books that we both read um, I think Georgie Newbury's uh, flower farmer's year was was a um, total bible for me and, and uh camilla started off with louise curly's, louise curly's yeah and um, the cut the cut flower patch yeah yeah um so you know we we just we went out and we found all this stuff to read about and poured over seed catalogs but in some ways it absolutely was a journey of trial and error yeah, um, and just i mean we bought all the seeds in the first year like ridiculous things that are really <laughs> hard to grow things that would just never thrive like in in the kind of soil that we've got they certainly wouldn't thrive in a glass house like we made we made every mistake there is to make and we continue to make mistakes because you know a lot of our flower farming colleagues are you know, they've got 25 years of horticulture behind yeah. them like we, we we're, we're approaching our sixth year and we're still there are still things that we're learning um as we go along um and it's still it's still exciting and interesting to us and I think that's what sets you apart as well. And it's a real positive thing because you're not from a family of sort of renowned gardeners and you're coming from it with a new, fresh energy and you really want to mix things up. That's the impression I get, especially from your book, How to Grow the Flowers. 
you you focus on the seasons and sustainability and you and I and many many people know that these are key things now with our current climate and there's been a lot of chat over the years with farms sort of getting more people to eat seasonally and source out local producers and I feel now it's a slow burn but since the pandemic there is a real sort of desire to look at flowers in the same way. Yeah certainly I mean we've always said that we felt that flowers was a good 10 years behind food in that sense oh, yeah. people were very aware of where their produce was coming from um, whereas with flowers people people don't always necessarily connect the dots but the pandemic really was was what gave us the impetus to, to write the book because previously when we'd been approached by Pavilion the publishers to write it we sort of we, we sort of laughed at them we were like don't be ridiculous there's, there's people way more experienced than us who could write this book and also does the world need another book on flower growing because that you know we'd we'd learnt and benefited from these brilliant books anyway so the pandemic really gave us the catalyst to think oh actually maybe we do have something distinct to say and it's we're not trying to set people up through the book to set up their own flower farm but simply to think what patch of earth do I have and what can I grow and how does that kickstart my relationship with the natural world and noticing what is growing around me throughout the year and I think it's almost like that can really switch switch on a light bulb for people where suddenly they start noticing you know really noticing the beauty that's that's kind of growing around us all, all through the year and um and how you can derive joy from that and feel differently about the planet we live on and that sounds very kind of grandiose but I think we both really really believe that you know and actually I don't think it's grandiose I think it's quite a simple a simple thing gardening should be about joy and I think one of the things I did with the kids during the lockdown was we grew lots of sweet peas and cut flowers and we filled them with we filled jam jars with them and that brought me joy. But then we would leave them on the doorsteps of our neighbours and our friends. Yeah. And that brought them joy. I mean, it's, it's such, a really it's, and it's simple such more joy, isn't it? It's just, you know, what can be more just life affirming than that sense of sweet peas and the generosity of the, the blooms you get from a from a plant? It's it's especially if you've grown them yourself. Yeah. Yeah, there's a real sense of satisfaction, definitely. And if you get the kids growing from a really young age, then that is just really sowing a seed for them and an interest in gardening, which is very much what I am all about, is to encourage more children into gardening in different ways and yeah. growing sweet peas or sunflowers, which I love. And I love the fact in the book that you say you sort of sing the praises of sunflowers because they can often be sort of looked upon as just a bit sort of brash and, and yellow but actually there's a whole host of beautiful sunflower varieties to grow rather than your huge gigantic Russians. <laughs> Absolutely and you're, you're right you, you just need easy wins for people sometimes you don't I think um, particularly if people have approached have, have got into um, thinking about flowers and, and, and having a relationship with them because of weddings then they do start off with these um very nuanced sort of smudgy <laughs> flowers which often um are harder to grow um but if you are starting off with those easy wins like a sunflower then you're going to be rewarded with the generosity of, of of that harvest and that is you know that you can't beat that really 
Totally, totally. Now, obviously, flower farming in the UK is beginning to increase. We're definitely seeing more popping up. Um, I think the power of social media has allowed them to grow as well, which is great to sort of spread awareness. But I mean, I, I went into a few supermarkets yesterday because it is Valentine's Day just around the corner next month. And I went into the supermarkets, I went into three big supermarkets and I was met with an explosion of colour in the shape and form of roses. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it was really wet and really miserable in Glasgow and it certainly did sort of brighten up what was going on outside. But these are flowers you're not, you won't see these flowers growing in your neighbour's gardens or in public parks at the moment. What has gone wrong? What is going wrong? And how can we encourage people to sort of look at alternatives, especially for such a big consumer event such as Valentine's Day? Yeah, it's it, it's tough because a lot of a lot of these, um, you know, festivals throughout the year um, are really about immediate gratification. Um, you know, the way that people gift around Valentine's Day, Mother's Day is really just about like, here's here's, here's some flowers in some plastic wrap. Uh, I hope that gives you joy. And I was able to pick that up on my way home from, from work because I'm like, you know, time starved because I'm like trying to make my money. And, you know, it's not it's not the individuals. You know, this is a whole huge thing where the world is not... Um, is not allowing people to have a slow connection with nature because of the very kind of consumerist capitalist world that we live in. That's obviously a huge topic we can't get into right now. But um, I think, and you know, these these festivals of like Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, um, Christmas to an extent, they, they are coming at a time of year where partly, particularly something like Valentine's Day is, is being put in the year um, by, I'm, I'm, can't, I'm not I'm not describing this very well, but it's kind of like a consumerist. Yeah, um, for, for commercial gain. It's not really yes. a lot of a connection, well, virtually no connection with, with nature, apart from the fact that people tend to give flowers um, to, to loved ones at the most, you know, uh, fallow, bleak time of the year, when it's particularly in this part of the world, we certainly don't have roses. But also the kind of roses that people are gifting, like this, we hope this doesn't sound snobby, but when we talk about a garden rose, the kind of roses that we grow and the kind of roses that you can buy in a supermarket, they, they to call them both roses is sometimes seems ridiculous because they are entirely different. And the way that we enjoy them and the way that they develop and they bloom and they, they go over is, is they're worlds apart. Um, and you can only really, uh, you know, exp- notice that if, if, if you have access to them, if you have access to garden roses. And I mean, to have access to a garden in itself is, exactly. is a complete privilege. So I totally get that. What what goes into these flowers to produce these flowers that we're seeing sort of in, in their plastic wraps in the supermarkets <laughs> at the moment? Well, for a start, they're, they're obviously all grown um, on the other side of the world. So Colombia, Ecuador, um, Kenya, uh, they're all big uh, flower, flower um, exporters. exporters. And so just from the off, you've got an enormous carbon footprint to bring that that rose that you might be buying for four pounds um, to to your supermarket. So that's just that's just the beginning. Yeah. And then um, they are a monoculture for the most part, so they're grown acres and acres or, or hectares, in fact, of um, under glass or under plastic, and um, 
in order to grow that crop successfully without uh, failure due to pests. There's often a lot of chemicals applied at the point um, of growing. Um, so we know very little about what what those flowers are being treated with. And when we, you know, when we hold them to our noses to sniff them and then, you know, they don't tend to have a smell because that's also been bred out of them. Yeah. Um, you're also coming into contact with a huge amount of um, chemical residue that, uh, that is not isn't there on the packaging for you to to realize it's um uh, we also know very little about the people that are growing these flowers and whilst there are some best practice um growers in in those uh you know those key countries who are doing things well and treating their workers in a responsible way um it's still a very unregulated industry and um we know if you pick up any food you know pick up some green beans it will say it's from kenya or, um, you know, that, that the provenance is always declared on food. And you'll notice if you pick up a bunch of, of flowers from the supermarket that that isn't the case. Um, there's no information about who grew those flowers, where they were grown um, and, and under what conditions. And um, we say in the book, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not to say everyone is doing that badly, but that there is still, um, it's still problematic. Yeah, because obviously there are fair trade um, organisations that are growing flowers and are sort of treating their the people who grow their flowers with sort of respect and um, looking after them as well. But I can imagine for those that are not, if they are using pesticides, that's also damaging the health of the people who are growing their flowers. We can imagine, although we don't know that. It, it can be it can be damaging their health. It can also be damaging the ecosystem more widely if there's runoff um, into yeah. uh, lakes, yeah. rivers. Yeah, it's it's a big it's a big thing. <laughs> and for something that generates so much money, I, I mean, it's 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 odd that there's not more transparency actually. Um, so hopefully that will that will change. And certainly, if flower farming in the UK is is growing then we can expect that there'll be a lot of transparency with that i'd imagine i think um, that's that's very much what we wanted the book to um to start to try and turn the tide on like for example helen you you know you said at the beginning of this um roses don't flower in at this time of year so you know where are they coming from most people just don't make that connection no. they don't think to look around them and go oh well this can't be this this has to have come from somewhere far away because they're just they're just not thinking about flowers um and the fact that they're there's the seasonality of them so i think we we hope to make more people gardeners really and more aware of of that cycle of of the year and and how you can um at any point in the year you can be deriving joy from from the garden I think it's, it's education and it's going back to the classroom as well because we have lost that connection with nature and with the seasons and I think we thought after the pandemic we might sort of be more connected to the seasons and keep keep going in a sort of positive way but I mean it's it's there's there's lots of bigger issues going on at the moment in the world as well and that perhaps isn't the case but it would be great if we could bring it back into the classroom and educate kids so that we're setting them up for a better future as well so they know when roses grow <laughs> exactly <laughs> for some reason it's it you know horticulture just isn't seen um as a valuable lesson um in, in yeah. the schools that do teach 
horticulture, like, I mean, are, are incredibly progressive. Um, there, is, there is a school actually not too far away from us where they've got an incredible growing project, but they are unique. Yeah, it's such a shame because I think people just think of it as gardening, whereas horticulture, it's all about the science. It's all about the planet. There's there's so many career opportunities within it. And the fact that you actually talk about in each chapter how to manage the soil for each growing season, I think is also really, really important because that's also fascinating for children. What's going on underneath our feet, sometimes more fascinating than perhaps what's happening above our feet. I think that was a real challenge we sort of set ourselves because neither of us were natural scientists at school um, and it can feel like you can't, it can, like many things within horticulture, you can feel like you don't necessarily have the right to talk about it because you're not an expert. And we're not formally trained. Um, but we, we, you know, every season that goes on we become more and more obsessed with understanding the soil more and more excited about the soil and the really how that holds the key to well to everything you know to, to saving the planet um but on a on a kind of a smaller scale to having healthy plants and um you know being able to make things thrive in your own gardens um so it felt like we absolutely couldn't um not place it cent center central within the book but um, yeah, that, that did feel a bit intimidating because of that. Yeah, because of that fact that we're not um, we're not soil scientists. We don't we everything we're learning has been something we've we've learned on the job or we've um, we've kind of skilled ourselves with. But if we're talking about joy, obviously, it gives us a lot of joy um, to grow flowers for cutting. But it gives us just as much joy to make our own compost, which I know sounds ridiculous, but once you get into composting and this incredible process of putting, you know, leaves and coffee grounds and wood chip in, in a bay and leaving it and then turning it and then like miraculously, like months later, it's just this incredibly rich, wormy compost. And that it's is, magic. It can never <laughs> ever compete with like the stuff that we buy in a shop, like the organic, like, you know, peat free stuff that we can buy from our garden centre can never compete with what we'll make in our own compost base. So what, I mean, I completely agree with that. I am a bit, I, I love compost. In fact, I got a primary seven class before Christmas to make a compost cake uh, out ah! of our school garden. Brilliant. <laughs> It was amazing. They loved it. They loved it. Everyone. It was great. What What are you sowing at the moment? Because I mean, in Scotland, I have to admit, I am I am holding off on sowing anything at the moment. I know there's lots of chatter online about who's sowing what when, but um, given that you are a little bit warmer down there, and you've obviously got the greenhouses, what What are you sowing in January? So we don't, um, so as a general rule of thumb at this time of year, we always encourage people like don't, don't sow until Valentine's Day because then you'll yeah. have 10 hours of, you'll have 10 hours of daylight and, and that's when, um, you know, your hardies, which is what you would sow then, um, would will, will be able to thrive and they won't get like too leggy. So we actually, the only thing that we could sow right now is I guess we could sow some sweet peas and we could sow some antirhinum um, and maybe some cabea, but um but, but, but everything else, we, we actually have to wait. And, you know, people inevitably get overexcited and they want it, they want, they want to get <laughs> cracking, but it's just best to hold off, really. And I think yeah. it's, it's fighting against that edge to get ahead, um, which people feel like every season that comes around, like, right, this year I'm going to be really organised and I'm going to get 
I'm, I'm yeah, I'm going to be able to um, tick all the jobs off sooner and not get to that point when May, June hits where the garden is kind of taking over. And I think we would invite everyone instead to just lean into the fact that as the year progresses, you the, the garden will always um, will always kind of win in some some senses. You can't control it, and perhaps we should all stop trying to control it. And that comes with really syncing your activity with the season. So yeah, I think I think probably if you're a veg grower, there maybe are a few more things that you could start in January. But for the most part, just just sit on your hands in January. Yeah, are looking at um at, at the seed catalogs do some planning, build some paths, prune your roses, prune your roses. <laughs> um, and, and just know that even if you start stuff now, you're not really going to buy yourself any time because the plants are not going to thrive. They're not going to yeah. germinate quickly. You've got to wait till they're really ready to, to take off and, and, and you'll be in exactly the same position. Um, if not a better position than if you tried to, um, kind of, uh, yeah, start sooner very wise words so I think that is very very wise just finish off the mince pies in the quality street exactly <laughs> so just to round things up if my husband is listening to this podcast um and to prevent him from buying me some roses I have to admit he's never actually bought me a bunch of roses for Valentine's Day but what what alternative um do you suggest for Valentine's Day this year I mean, if, if, we're, if we're talking about flowers, if, if, you wanna, if you want to give somebody flowers, you know, you could, you could give them, you know, potted up um, paper whites that have been forced, so that they'll be flowering now, um, amaryllis. You could, you, could, you could still even be in time if, if they're relatively green-fingered or want to try it out. You could actually just give somebody the gift of bulbs. Like, they're sort of nearing the cut-off point to, to get them in, but, you and know... By Valentine's Day, you possibly would be a bit late, but... Um uh you could also go to a garden central nursery and buy some hellebores that are, are potted up and they would be flowering now um because we get that there are things that we would be excited about and would derive joy from like i've, I've been banging on all week about how much um joy i'm getting from all the catkins that are flowering uh all the you know tassely um catkins uh at wolves lane are just so beautiful and if someone gave me a nice vase full of catkins I would I'd be delighted but that's probably not the the case for other members <laughs> of the population so yeah so that's why if, if you're still looking for a flowering hit hellebores paper whites um amaryllis are probably your kind of key ones for right now okay. um can also I mean for people that want to try their hand at growing like you know if, if 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 budget is tight, which it is for a lot of people right now, you know, seeds only cost, you know, a packet of seeds probably costs about three pounds. Um, you can give them um a subscription that will start later on in the year if it's a seasonal one. Um things like foxgloves that are so um self-sufficient. So if you bought and they they look unlike a lot of other herbaceous perennials, they're not looking kind of dead brown and and, and wiggy at this time of year they still have a good amount of green um healthy vigor to them so you could buy some um foxgloves plants to, for someone to plant out uh, as the season progresses sweet peas i've got lots of sweet peas i've overwintered and um despite sitting in minus five degrees outside under snow they're they're looking really happy so plants are a great way of giving someone um a much bigger hit of 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 
flowery abundance later in the year and it's all about delayed gratification you know you're not you're not getting um like you said when you were in the supermarket the other day those flowers did give you a bit of a lift but it was quite fleeting um, yes so it depends where you are really on on how uh your kind of journey into um feeling connected with plants because we get that for you know for some people they do just want something floral right now but hopefully if you do gift someone a, a a little box of plants or something you're 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 giving them that that beginning um relationship with plants and and um yeah I think that can be really powerful yeah it's a gift that keeps on giving I think a packet of sweet peas or uh, sweet pea seeds that you can grow in a pot and you'll be able to pick flowers all summer long would be a pretty pretty good present if um if there's someone listening out there for me <laughs> yeah it got me hooked anyway that was that was my my sort of way in brilliant so what's what are on what's on the agenda for 2023 for you both well one of the things that we're really excited about doing this year is um trying to uh launch a, a, a kind of a, a way for more people getting married to um to work with seasonal flowers so um whilst we can't um supply flowers to to everyone in the, in the uk um i think we're really trying to um uh, educate people inspire people that 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 is really possible so we'll be probably we haven't talked about this much yet but we're probably going to do a bit of a um a free webinar for people to hear about how to do that um, later this month and um, we're going to be doing uh, open days at the at the flower farm for people to come and look at um, if they're getting married to look at what's in season at that time of year to give them some ideas um, and we'll be running a workshop for people to um, come and learn how to do their own uh, wedding flowers themselves and I think that's something we're really excited about because the wedding industry is has for, for a long time has been all about luxury mm. and um, spending a lot of money and whilst it, it is a very time intensive, expensive thing to do wedding flowers for people, but we feel excited about trying to give people the tools to um, to take that on themselves and um, have a way to, to work with seasonal flowers. So that will be a big focus for us this year. Um, but we're also trying to have a bit more equilibrium in our lives. We're not going to this year. Um, we've got three children between us. So we're not, we're, we're trying not to take on anything too huge for 23 and, yeah and, and enjoy running the business and um and, yeah and, and and growing the flowers yeah the last two years was amazing but very intense right yeah. but getting it out there raising our very tiny children so this year feels a lot about consolidating and just sort of like really uh improving um on what 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 we're already doing and and, and just really empowering people to to enjoy flowers in a seasonal sustainable way i think that's yeah we can't we can't provide the wedding flowers for everyone it's just it's, it doesn't work with having small children but the more we can get people to 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 try doing it themselves i think that's a way we feel we can have some impact this year 
I love that. I love that. It really sets you apart as well. I think that's a really great ethos and, and something I'm looking forward to seeing that develop actually and seeing the end results on their wedding days as well. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. No, I think it's a great idea to sort of reflect on what you've obviously achieved over the last couple of years, which has been huge and, and enjoy what you do because there's no point in doing what you're doing if you're not enjoying it. So you need to take time and sort of just sit back and um, enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think when you turn something you are passionate about into your job, then that joy can 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 disappear at times yes. <laughs> so, yeah staying connected with the joys is definitely a goal for for 23 oh great well listen thank you both so much for your time and i wish you lots of luck for the year ahead and happy growing thank you thank helen so yeah lovely to speak to you brilliant well done I love what Marianne and Camilla are doing down in North London. My next guest is similar to both Marianne and Camilla because she too does not have a background in cut flowers or flower farming for that matter. She in fact was a dog groomer. I caught up with Rebecca Masterton from Pretty Wild Flowers based near Lockerbie in Dumfries and Galloway to learn more about their growing flower farm in this beautiful part of Scotland. are a little bit further north than my last guests can you explain to listeners where you guys are in Scotland yeah so um we're just over the border really um we're near Lockerbie in Dumfries and Galloway so southwest Scotland so a beautiful um, part of the country a bit of a hidden gem yeah yeah it definitely is yeah and uh, what's the climate like with you is it quite wet down there yeah. Yeah, we're quite wet. Um, and where we are, we're exposed to the wind. We're right next to a wind farm. So okay. um, so that's our main kind of enemy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would never have the right. Okay, okay. And tell me a little bit about the farm, because it's a fairly new thing for you both. Where are you, were you flower farming elsewhere? Do you have a background in horticulture? Um, no. <laughs> so <laughs> Scott has, my husband Scott runs the fall farm with me. Um, and he has a background in forestry and I was a dog groomer for oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> for about 13 years before I started this. So yeah, not horticulturally minded, um, lived in the countryside and grew veg and loved being outside and things like that. But yeah, no, this is very, very different to what we've done before. And what was the sort of driving force to to make you set up up the business? Yeah, so we got married um, in 2016, and we did every, we got married at home in the garden, and everything that we did that we planned, we were trying to be as local and sustainable as we could. And then it came to the flowers, and I was really stumped. Um, and the only option that I could find at the time was to get imported flowers. Um, and I did them myself. We were quintessential DIY wedding. And um, and yeah, and I really, I was obsessed with it. It was like <laughs> such a surprise. I absolutely fell in love with flowers, the whole process. Um, yeah, the sauce in them, the research. And yeah, and then 
the reaction I got from the flowers. I mean, looking back, they were ridiculous, like technically terrible. Um, but, <laughs> but they the, were like, yours. The, yeah. <laughs> and just the, yeah, the whole, um, we went for the kind of wild garden gathered style, probably because there was no way, you know, we could have done it any other way pro- with no experience. Um, and I think it just got such a good reaction and I really loved it. And then I just found myself continuing to follow like flower florists on Instagram that had inspired me. Um, and I just, I couldn't shake this feeling that I wanted to do something like that. And then when I discovered just through following um, those florists on Instagram, I discovered Flowers from the Farm, which um, is an organization of other flower farms throughout the UK. And I just, it was like a light bulb went off. I thought, oh my God, I could totally do this. And yeah, it just kind of snowballed. I was getting asked to do friends and family's weddings. Um, and yeah, just the, the whole the whole idea of working outside, working off the land. I really needed a career change by this point. So it just, it just fits so well. Um, and yeah, we just, we just went for it. Quite a career change. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I guess like we we now sort of we go into the supermarket and we sort of come to expect to be able to find out where our fruit and veg and yeah. our meat comes from. But with flowers, as I as I've been saying to other people, that's not really something that we've fully sort of got on board. We don't really pay much attention to it. But I do feel there's a there's an undercurrent building and more of an awareness growing have you have you found that yourself or do you feel that you're still having to sort of educate people especially brides because I can imagine that they've got a certain view of what they want but if they're getting married in February for example yeah uh, they might want red roses because it's Valentine's Day or do you know what I mean yeah so absolutely um I think when I started it was very much alien to everyone even to myself really when I first looked at doing the flowers for the wedding um, it just had never been a thought in my head before about where the flowers had come from. Um, and then, yeah, explaining to other people what I was starting, it was just really, the reaction I was getting was that I was a bit crazy. But I do feel like um, the past few years, like definitely the last couple of years since Brexit, um, the conversation has changed a lot and more and more people are thinking about where everything's coming from. And and yeah, I think organizations like flowers for the farm and flowers grown in scotland are really pushing the message and and yeah i think i'm definitely finding especially with brides the the message from us always was that we would never guarantee certain types of flowers so you know the brides always knew they could give us a color palette um a style you know a look that they were were wanting but we could never guarantee an exact type of flower because we we just could never guarantee that it would be ready on time. Um, so it was always a trust that they had with us. And then the reaction was always amazing because they, some of the flowers they had never even seen before. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, obviously there was the brides that wanted a particular look or a particular flower. And we would just say, look, if that's what you what you want and, you know, we're not the florist for you. But but, yeah, we've it's it's been it's been a it's been great it's been a learning curve for us massively but it's also been really really nice to put the message across to everyone else as well and it's so nice to see that that it's getting across now 
no, it totally is. There definitely is a momentum. I think there was a bit of a sea change, obviously, during lockdown as well. And that's a sea change that has continued as well, which is great. It's one of the positives that, that came out of that period of time. Now, obviously, you're based in Scotland and you and I both know that um, Scotland is a tricky place to grow flowers and to, to grow lots of things because of yep. the climate. And just have to look outside today. It's January. It is. I haven't seen much daylight for quite yep. some time it is very very wet um, and I I don't sow seeds until at least March to be honest because I don't have a heated glass house or greenhouse yep. lots of people don't what what are the main challenges you find as a flower farmer in Scotland so just exactly what you said the lack of daylight this time of year um, it's very wet it's you know the, we're not particularly warm really up until kind of May probably our last frost date is the middle of May and even then we'd, we've really we've got to be careful to risk planting many things out um, but what we found that if we can time it right it's been a really tricky um, learning curve because you get a lot of information from different climates maybe like further down the country and they'll tell you to sow your seeds at a certain time but what we found is if we can just get them a little bit earlier at the back end of the year and then a little bit later at the beginning of the year um, and work that way, we tend to have better success when we're sowing our seeds. Okay. Um, and using polytunnels too, that, that's, that's been a game changer. And how many of a team, is it just you and your husband? Yeah, it's just me and Scott. Um, yeah, just the two of us. We do have two kids as well, which help now and again. But Excellent labour. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's forced more nowadays though I think. What age are the kids? Um, it's two boys and one's eleven and one's thirteen. So. Okay, so they're they could be handy though. So. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. loves the the lawnmower, so <laughs> the grass is always cut. Excellent. So what is in the polytunnel at the moment? So at the moment we've got um we've got larkspur, we've got ranunculus, anemones, um sweet peas. Although we haven't planted them in the ground yet, but they're in the seed trees. Um, stock. Yeah, trying to think what else we've got. <laughs> and do you have any favourites that you sort of look forward to, to growing time and time again? Yeah, I mean, the ranunculus are tricky, but they're definitely a favourite. Yeah, um, I always wonder why I'm bothering and then you get them and they're just amazing. <laughs> um, and then roses, always, always roses. Yeah. Like proper garden roses. Yeah, proper garden roses. Yeah. yeah, loads of scent, um, big blooms. Yeah, we have a whole polytunnel dedicated to them because we love them so much. Oh, wow, <laughs> amazing. Well, that brings me nicely on because obviously it's Valentine's Day just around the corner. And I know that you also specialise in drying flowers. Yeah. So I'm wondering whether or not we're trying to sort of focus on going down the whole sustainable seasonal route and roses are not in anybody's gardens up and down no. the country in February <laughs> so what do you try and promote and encourage people to do round about Valentine's Day? So we've always um, offered dried flowers in the winter it's always been um, just something that we've done because we we can't grow fresh flowers right now um, so yeah we have we try to keep uh, we dry a lot of flowers and we try to keep um, the kind of reds and pinks for this time of year. So we've got a lot of roses, <laughs> dried roses, um, dried ranunculus, dried larkspur, um, 
straw flowers and then we'll mix them in with um like flax and dried grass grasses poppy seed heads things like that so it's it's mixed bouquets that we do um mm-hmm. but yeah we kind of we go on a bit of a red and pink theme and they do they seem popular people people like it it is completely different to just the typical red roses fresh but but yeah, yeah it's, it's been popular so brilliant and what are your top tips when it comes to drying flowers are there some flowers that work better than others yes definitely um it's trial and error to be honest we we have a building at the back of the house that houses our hot water tank mm-hmm. so the byproduct of that is that the shed is always warm so and it's dark as well so warm dark dry space hang them upside down um don't have them too close together in a bunch and yeah, generally we have really good success. Some things work better than others, but it's just give it a go. Give it a go. Excellent. Yeah. And in terms of flower farming, because obviously getting a hold of land, getting getting a house is difficult, let alone yeah. land. But um, what advice would you give to anybody that is looking for a bit of a career change and has a passion like you for, for flowers and growing? What advice would you give to somebody if they just needed that little extra push? I would say start small. Um, any bit of land you can get hold of, even if it's just your garden or a few pots on a balcony, start small and go for like the easy cut and come again flowers like cosmos, um, sweet peas, and just yeah, have a go with it and see what sort of thing you want to do. With flower farming, with the floristry industry in general, there's so many different avenues you can go down. Um, and they're not necessarily everything you want to do so it's just try get some seeds sow them I would definitely say yeah try some easy some easy ones and um, yeah just just try and And see how it goes yeah have fun with it (laughs) it can be so stressful and so hard Um, you know you're, you're against mother nature but I think the only way to learn is to do it I mean I read all the books before I started and and the best lessons I got was when I actually just just did it just did it and you've also started growing Christmas trees that won't be ready for for quite some time but um, that's another side project you've got going on as well yeah well it was always Scott's dream to do it um and just the opportunity came to have a go at it and yeah we've um yeah we've got nine different species of Christmas trees so it's not your typical Christmas tree farm um, and it's fairly small scale, but yeah, that'll be a few years time yet, but that's exciting. Yep. And how many, how many have you planted? Oh gosh. Oh, Scott will kill me because I'll get this wrong. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, I, I know that we're, we're about to plant. We've just had a delivery of about 1500. So we tend to do about a thousand a year and wow. have a rotation. Yes. But that's, that's really small compared to some big proper Christmas tree farms. Really, it's, it's something yeah. I haven't explored, but maybe I need to come and have a visit and I can, I yeah. can take a peek. That would be lovely. Well, listen, Rebecca, Definitely. thank you so much for your time and um, have a very happy and successful growing season. So it would appear that the tide is slowly turning. People do want more British flowers, allowing farmers to flourish. And growing cut flowers in turn will also help the environment as it will increase biodiversity. 
This is a trend that needs to continue and it's a no-brainer to find local farmers near you. I recommend you take a look at flowers from the farm and flowers grown in Scotland. These details as well as everything else I've covered in today's show will be covered in the show notes. Now that is all for today's episode. Thank you again for joining me and a very special thank you to all of my guests today, Rebecca, Marianne and Camilla. And of course, as always, please do subscribe to Grow, Cook, Inspire on whichever platform you use. And remember, please do share and review because it makes a huge difference. Until next time, keep growing and cooking.